0: Welcome to Catalyst Conversations, the podcast that brings you real-world stories and solutions from a wide variety of acoustic experts. Each episode, we'll dive into a different topic from the world of acoustics, such as architectural and industrial noise control, seismic and vibration restraint, acoustical testing, or innovative design and engineering of sound control products. Our experts have decades of experience in this space and are eager to share their expertise with you. Join us in making the world a quieter place. Hello and welcome to another episode of Catalyst Conversations. I'm your host, Becca Barth, and I am so excited to share this episode with all of you, our listeners. During today's discussion, we'll be speaking with the man, the myth, the legend himself, John Storick of Walter Storick Design Group and Keith Peterson of K Peterson and Associates. John and Keith have worked together for many years over the course of their decades-long careers and each utilize several of Catalyst brand's acoustical products in their work. This episode is already a tad bit long, so let's get right into it. Once again, we are so excited to be joined by two industry legends today, which I will allow them to introduce themselves.
1: I'm John Storick. Founding partner of
2: WSDG. I'm Keith Peterson, uh, K. Peterson Associates. Uh, we're a manufacturers representative firm specializing in acoustical products. Um, known John for many
1: years. And uh, full we're disclosure, we're friends, we're <laughs> professional colleagues. Keith was an intern at my firm many, many years ago. Now he's smarter than me. That's the way it goes. Have <laughs> yeah, a right.
0: Of course he is. Well, thank you both so much for being here today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Now, you guys are recording this on location right now. Can you tell me a little bit about where you are?
1: We're in one of the great studios in the Northeast, Berklee College of Music's uh, Studio One Shame Studio Control Room. We thought it was a pretty cool place to sit. I want to thank Berklee College of Music for giving us the room for a few hours um, to talk about um, high-profile isolation Uh, conditions, acoustic isolation. Um, What better place to discuss it than a recording studio and particularly this recording studio which is smack in the middle of an urban environment and surrounded by about seven other recording studios.
0: That's super cool to be sitting in a studio that you designed yourself. Now can you talk a little bit about what all goes into designing a recording studio?
1: Way to start off with a question that could take essentially our entire career to answer. So, designing recording studios uh, requires uh, programming, client management, uh, budget analysis, code analysis, all the phases of of a complex architectural project, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But often, and certainly in the case of where we're sitting here today, does require some pretty Tricky and some pretty advanced isolation uh, analysis. Um, recording studios, uh, which mean a lot of things. And let's, for this, for the sake of continuing the conversation, define a recording studio as an environment that has a control room. Then on the other side of possibly a window uh, is a live room. In fact, there's several live rooms, in this case, a very large one, because that's where Berkeley Orchestra rehearses. Um, so to distill the question even further, these rooms need to be acoustically isolated from each other. They need to be quiet to certain specifications and they need to be isolated so that they do not bother each other and so that the rooms do not bother outside neighbors like another studio or another or a dormitory room or a classroom. And they also have to be isolated so that those neighbors do not bother us, so that these rooms require the correct NC ratings or noise criteria ratings. Um, to get a little bit technical, because I'm sure some people uh, are, are, are interested in this data, uh, our control rooms are hover around NC 25, 24, 23, pretty quiet. But our live rooms, we try to get NC 18, even NC 15. These are very, very quiet numbers. Those are low numbers, those noise criteria numbers. We use the US standards because we're here in the US. Um, so what does that mean? Um, that generally means in complex environments, like the one we're in, we have to revert to some kind of room-within-room construction. We have to decouple an inner boundary with an outer structural boundary, um, and to do that you need some pretty slick design, okay, that's what we do, but you need some really, really cool products.
0: Which is where we come in. So, why is good isolation so important in a recording studio?
1: So that's, from an isolation point of view, it's not the first thing we think of um, when, we, when we start designing. We usually start designing with shape, programming, aesthetics, et cetera, et cetera. But very, very early on in the conversation, we have to be aware of isolation because isolation costs money, it's expensive, and isolation takes thickness, okay? Vertical isolation can easily suck up a foot, maybe more sometimes. And horizontal uh, isolation, the walls could easily add another six to 12 inches. So all of a sudden, as you start sketching these spaces and thinking about these spaces, even in an early moment, we have to think about the thickness. So we need to be aware of the products that that we will use to create the isolation. It's a complicated conversation.
2: So I'm I'm just going to jump in and, and I hope so agree with John on <laughs> on all these comments. But um, isolation has to do with mass, airspace, and a decoupling element.
1: Yeah. So
2: the decoupling element is
1: those are the three. Those are the, yeah, th- those are the three key elements. Yeah,
2: and I would say the decoupling element is usually a product. You know, so so kinetics makes a product that actually that makes help. a family of products. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So mass and decoupling are the key. Um, If you put enough mass on a boundary, you can can do anything, but you're going to run out of thickness. And we we solve that problem by decoupling another mass. Uh, What would be an obvious decoupling procedure? Air. Very easy on walls, not so easy on floors. So you hear the term floating floors. You've probably heard that a million times, we're gonna install a floating floor. Well, the floors don't really float. (laughs) Nothing, okay, or a floating ceiling, nothing really floats. So all of a sudden, now what are we gonna, what does that mean? No, it's gotta sit on something. And so that's the decoupling element.
0: Got it. Now, when you're thinking about different programming goals, what considerations should be made when you're designing a studio?
1: Well, very early on in a project, and I'm sure Keith has seen this a million times. The first thing that has to happen is somebody has to determine how quiet we want that space to be. You can't really proceed with an isolation design until you know how quiet the space has to be. It would be sort of like uh, I need a certain, I need to create a motor for my car, but you don't want to tell anybody how fast the car has to go or how fast it has to accelerate okay so the critical specification that we have to start off with is quietness how quiet does the room have to be if you don't have that spec everything else doesn't make any sense and it quickly becomes a lot of a lot of baloney
2: and that that value is that NC well there are a lot about. of ways
1: to express it but the most common way is NC which yep. stands for noise criteria noise criteria is is actually a one-number value that architects like to use, but it actually represents an algorithm of eight values. What are those eight values? They are the quietness SPL readings, decibel SPL readings, in eight octave bands, because acousticians, the acoustic community is very comfortable talking about octave bands. It's a pretty good number, but it can get you in trouble, Mm -hmm. because you can get tricked with NCs. You You can have two rooms with the same NC value, but they're not the same. One is considerably noisier. Why? Because of the algorithmic nature of it. It's, it's actually not an average of eight numbers. It's a, it's a graph and a plot to which, to which you, you, you plot a curve that doesn't exceed a certain value. It's a, it, it, we don't really have to get into it. But for, our, for simplicity's sake, we need to define these quietness values. And as I said, the room we're in now, which is a control room, can be a little bit noisier in studios because you usually don't have a microphone in here. You have equipment with fans. So that NC is quiet, but it's usually in the low 20s. Whereas our, our recording rooms with open microphones, they need to be below 20. I would, our target is 15. Very quiet, very, very quiet rooms. So once that's established, now you can start dealing with boundaries. Because then the, the second piece of information we need is, well, how loud, how noisy is the neighbor? And that can get a little bit crazy because it's not always obvious who the neighbor is. So in the case of recording studios, the neighbor is often us. Often the, the troubling neighbor is, in fact, the control room, which actually gets loud, and you don't want it to bother the studio. But generally speaking, it's a neighbor, like the neighbor above you. Uh, it could be environmental noise, like an airplane noise or rain. I've been on sites. Keith, I'm sure you've been on sites early on and everybody thinks it's quiet, but they didn't take a measurement when it was raining. Yep. Um, I was on a project once in, in California, where we went to the site, took the measurements, came back with what we thought were the correct environmental measurements, only to find out that between 8 and 10 o'clock in the morning, 25 cement trucks line up one block away and get their cement from this cement factory. <laughs> we were there in the afternoon. We didn't hear them because they didn't exist. And we had to go back and uh, take those measurements again. Um, if you've ever taken measurements where there's plane runs, you've got to make sure that a plane is actually there or a train noise, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Once you have that, you essentially can subtract the two and, and get the transmission loss of your boundary. And based on that, you can come up with your mass and decoupling design, OK? Um, how you create the mass usually has to do with the construction techniques that we're comfortable with. So if you're in South America, where masonry is very inexpensive, we might use, in a, we might use masonry construction. Um, if, you're, if you're on an upper floor of a building, you may not be able to use masonry construction because the floors can't hold it. So, your mass is usually determined by social conditions and construction conditions. Once you have all of that in the blender, then we choose the right decoupling product or yep. solution. Yep. Okay.
2: Another thing to note too is <clears throat> people talk a lot about sound transmission class, STC ratings, and those are assembly ratings, but this NC rating uh, is so important because it actually tells you how quiet the space needs to be or is going to be. Yeah,
1: an NC rating is is not a is not a laboratory rating. It's 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 the world we're in. Um, it's the environment. The rating of a wall system or a floor system or a ceiling system that's 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 what uh, the, the, a catalyst company or or any transmission any company that deals with transmission products is interested in. Those are lab measurements that are in laboratories, it's important to note that you will rarely get them in the field. (laughs) Actually, I'm going to go on record as saying you almost never get them in the field (laughs) for a wide variety of reasons. Construction techniques, there's minor holes in the construction like outlets and ducts and pipes, and maybe somebody didn't seal something. There's a myriad of of things that that can take a laboratory reading of transmission loss. Keith mentioned the term STC, which stands for Sound Transmission Class. Once again, that's a one-number value of 16 different transmission losses. Okay, the architectural world is not comfortable with 16 numbers. They want to have it distilled into one number. And I must say that the Catalyst family of, of isolation products, specifically kinetics, is particularly good at specs. Yeah. Yeah, kinetics historically over the years has been very, very good at, at publishing uh, acoustical transmission data and actually, publishing non, and actually providing non-published data. By that, I mean below uh, 125 hertz. They have the data, and we've never had a problem getting it. If a company claims to have a transmission product and doesn't want to provide the data, we hang up the phone. We don't want to have anything to do with them. OK, I want data. And I want to see the data from an independent lab. And kinetics is, is in fact very good. Other companies do it as well. Okay, let's be let's be clear about that. But they have been particularly good. So at, at that point, you have to start looking at the transmission data, but you also now have to bring a little real-world experience. And I think that's, I mean, that's what we do. But I tell you the truth, we count, we, our design company, we count on people like Keith, because Keith's in the field. Okay, Keith provides the products, wrestles with the ar- architects, wrestles with the contractors, um, gets yelled at. <laughs> Usually, when he doesn't even do anything wrong, they yell at him because he's on the front line. So at the end of the day, so how did that work out? Did that decoupling spring really work? You probably see as many, if not more, of those issues than, than we do. But I, I think that you know STC,
2: it's, import, it's an important function of... Determining, you know, John's going to use assemblies to get to that NC rating that he's looking for in this in this studio, and uh, it's it's good to have that data on the STC front because then they they know oh well if we build this assembly like this, this is what we can expect out of this wall. Yeah, we
1: usually subtract two or three dB. Right. We usually right. just take two just or three dB it off it because we know in the field it's not it's not it's not going it's it, it, it's it's not going to happen. But we count on the data, okay? So a company that's not going to give us data, I just don't want to have really anything, anything to do with them.
0: Oh, I totally understand the importance of good data. So, John, I know you've worked on a couple of home recording studios for some major artists, but now I feel like we're seeing more and more regular everyday people putting studios in their own homes, whether that be for recording podcasts or even some recording music. How do you see the industry changing moving forward with this in mind?
1: Oh, this is, a, this is a field day for us, and it's a field day for any company that makes products. Yeah, because, well, for the simple reason is that there's more of them, okay? Um, these home studios that you're talking about, they are not necessarily cheap. They're just in someone's home, okay? And very often they need isolation, and always they need, treatments of some sort or they might need one door so actually I believe it's a field day. The, the flip side of that question is who, where's the gate? Who's the gatekeeper for the products? Are those kinds of installations calling a rep? Probably not. They're probably calling somebody a little bit more like myself or, and now comes the danger, they're going right to the manufacturer. Well I know I need a soundproof door and they go to the web Okay, good news is the information is on the web. Bad news is there's a lot of crappy information on the web, and they just say, yeah, there's a door, and they start making five calls. Everybody wants their information in ten minutes because that's the nature of the world that we're in, and they can choose the wrong door. So there's the bad news, but I'm I'm more interested in in the good news. Um, We have half of our projects are what you call home studios or project studios or smaller studios or non-commercial studios, two producers just set up, you know, private studios. These are all commercial terms. So I think that this is a field day for designers, and I think it's good news for companies that deliver data, accurate data, you know? Acoustic door model, da-da-da-da, great performance. What, What does that mean? great performance. That doesn't mean anything. Sooner or later, people will look at the data. Or at least if there's enough importance attached to data, they'll go call up people who know what that means. They could call up, you know. I mean, if one of your architectural customers calls you up, has somehow short-circuited an acoustic consultant uh, vertical for, for whatever reason, okay. And asks you for a little education, you're going to give them. That's a good moment. That's a fun moment. Yeah. I think. I mean, I love doing it. Yep. And I know you love doing it, too, because at the end of the day, it, that, they're going to come back again. Yeah. I think it's a field day for for people who are focused on real data, real education, and good products. You have to have a good product.
2: I think with all my manufacturers, you know, if I can educate the client on why they should be using it, whether it's yeah. performance criteria or whatever.
0: That's really awesome. I know I've learned a lot from the both of you just in the short amount of time that we've spent together. So I want to shift a little bit. But do either of you have any examples of projects you've worked on where isolation was particularly important? Not necessarily a recording studio project, but any project?
2: So I've got a funny one for you. There, there's a, yeah. a high school here, a private high school here in Boston. And the programming just wanted the administra- administrative offices to be below the gymnasium. I mean, yeah. it just, it, it just, it, which was a great opportunity for kinetics and, uh, you
1: oh, know. Oh, yeah, with, uh, isolated floor on so, the gym and suspended ceiling. For, I mean, you, that's but, a field But day. that's
2: all dictated. That was the only place they could put it.
1: Oh, that's different. Uh, yeah. So,
2: so the, the, the programming was, yeah. you know, it just kind of dictated the yeah. design.
1: Yeah, we have a situation, even here in Berkeley, where we have three small production studios, each one with a control room and an ISO booth, literally right next to each other, as opposed to maybe putting a storeroom in between them or a carter in between them or any other, kind or a shop or a machine room. By that, I mean a quiet rack room. It didn't work out. It was the only place we could put them. We only had so much space. We're in Boston. It's a very tight site. There's a whole... And so you can guess what those walls look like, okay? Those are triple walls. Masonry is the middle wall. We have isolators. Actually, we are using kinetics uh, decoupling devices on the walls. We had spring-loaded ceilings. Very, very complicated, very expensive. It's the only place those rooms could go. So um, we we could exchange dozens of isolation (laughs) stories, but anyway.
0: That's super interesting. Thank you both for sharing. Now, earlier in this discussion, you brought up a couple of issues that you could potentially have with STC. Could you talk a little more about that?
1: Well, at, let's talk about STC. Um, for, for, I mean, anybody that's still with us here, anybody that's still with us after 20 minutes means they're interested in this <laughs> subject. This is a niche subject, by the way. Okay. Um, STC stands for Sound Transmission class. transmission Class. Once again, it is one number that represents 16 numbers. But it's not an arithmetic. What are those 16 numbers? Those are the transmission loss values of anything, a boundary, of any kind of boundary, tested in the lab. Okay? Which basically means send and receive, subtract the difference. At 16 one-third octave intervals. No longer are we using octave intervals. We're using narrower one-third octave intervals. There, There are some reasons for it. That's a little bit complicated to get into it, so they want to get more precise information. That's the good news. It's not an arithmetic average. It's a kind of a curve that you slip into that has certain requirements, and you can keep pushing that curve up higher and higher until one of two conditions are satisfied, a certain delta okay uh, underneath, the, uh, underneath the curve. And when you get that curve, it's, it's actually three straight lines. It's not even a curve. When it's as high as it can go, you take the reading at 500 hertz, and that becomes your value. OK, good news and bad news. The good news is that, say, an S, a, a wall system that has an STC 63 is going to be considerably better than a wall system that has an STC value of 53. Good news there. Bad news, once again, two wall systems that have an STC value of 63 may very, very definitely not be the same, because they've gotten to that number through a variety of ways, and they could get to the same number, but have differences in their individual TLs. And now, and then the other problem with STC, and this is the big problem is that it does not consider values below 125 hertz. Why? It's a rather old standard. It's been around for a long time. Speech frequencies. It basically deals with the common frequencies, speech frequencies that most architects are comfortable with. And of course, doesn't deal with low frequencies, which is exactly what recording studios have to deal with. So we use STC. But to tell you the truth, we're more interested in the TL values from 125 down to 40 hertz, or even, or even 30 hertz. Um, when a company such as Kinetics goes and measures any of their products that they're using in assemblies, which they do all the time, US Gypsum does the same thing, um, some, and your competitors do the same thing, that, all the data is there. So you go to Riverbank, they have all the data. They have all the data down to 30 hertz. And they will give it to you. Some companies don't publish it. Why? Because generally speaking, most assemblies begin to fail below 125 hertz. Okay. Proud to say that Kinetics does give you that data. You got to ask for it, but they will give it to you Um, for wall assemblies, particularly the floor assemblies, um, et, et cetera, et cetera. So STC is a quick way to compare doors, windows, um, wall assemblies, floor assemblies, ceiling assemblies, effectiveness of springs, et cetera, et cetera but if you really want to dig into it you you need to get the data below yeah. one twenty five the
2: devil is in the details with it devil's in the details i, I think also a, have you a, had have
1: you had architects press you for that they probably don't even know no, a real, no. consultants, yes, our consultants know. yes yeah. Yeah.
2: but yeah. um I think you know coincidence dip is a Good thing to maybe talk about <laughs> all right I was hoping that we're not Ke- going we all right to, I was hoping uh,
1: Keith wasn't going to bring that <laughs> up but you know this is an educational podcast so now we're going to go deeper we were at about seventy feet below the surface now we're going to go to hundred so why this crazy STC algorithm what the algorithm is good at is taking into consideration a uh, a a phenomenon known as the coincidence dip. The coincidence dip. I'll take a stab at it, and you take a stab at it. But you, you take a stab first. Okay, sure. So Let's I see if you learned so, anything. <laughs> I know you did. So it's complicated. It's a complicated
2: concept. So materials, be it a brick wall, be it a sheet of drywall, all any have, material, yeah, any material has transmission loss values, and there's going to be a pocket within that. In, in those where they're, they're very effective at certain frequencies and inef- ineffective at other frequencies. So that is, that's the dip. So in an assembly, you're trying to mitigate that. You're, you're trying to not, you're trying to marry um, materials that will give you a flat transmission loss across all the
1: frequencies. It's pretty good, B plus, <laughs> B plus. pretty good. All materials, when they're thin, will have a coincidence dip frequency. The vibrational nature of the material will tend to make that material not behave according to the mass law. The mass law says that if you double the mass, you get 60 dB improvement in their, in their transmission loss. So what would be a material that absolutely behaves like that? Well, 12 inches of concrete. It's really yeah. massive. It doesn't vibrate. It's, it's not membranic. And it's... It's just a straight line, okay? Every time you add, uh, you double the mass, you improve the, the transmission loss by 6 dB, okay? But as materials get thin, like sheetrock, glass, doors, metal, lots of materials are thin, the coincidence dip comes into effect. And the coincidence dim, dip frequency is just the simply a nature of the material. Some of these frequencies are a little funky, like glass is rather low. But for instance, sheetrock is at 2500 hertz. It's actually very high. It's actually surprisingly high, okay? Which is why when you put one layer of sheetrock on, by the time you get up into the upper speech frequencies, it's not really behaving very well. And everybody knows this because if you're in a house with a typical wall, you can kind of hear the people next door, not yeah. to mention holes in the wall. So the transmission, the STC value this algorithm takes into account the coincidence dip. As the graph is placed, as your values are graphed, okay, if any one value goes below, any value goes below eight decibels, okay, compared to the standard graph, that's as high as it can go. That's there to take into account the coincidence dip. So you, you see it in the SDC, but you don't really see it unless you study the data architects are not going to study they just want one number but consultants do study it yep. and do understand it and the solution for that is creative mass okay so in recording studios we often sandwich one mass between two other masses because each of them have different coincidence dips so in this room that we're in right now in fact the most of berkeley is built with sheetrock on studs not all of it, some of it's built with masonry walls. We'll have sheetrock, plywood sheetrock, because plywood has a different coincidence dip than sheetrock. And if you take two coincidence dips and you put them in one assembly, you flatten it out. okay? it's it's like a filter. If you put two filters next to each other, you're going to get a new filter, which is flatter, okay? and and broader. Okay, so that's that's the trick. And I'm sure you've recommended this sometimes in meetings, okay? Sure. Then, once you have the right assembly, we can now choose the right product. Because you can't choose the right spring, for instance, unless you know the mass. you you got to know what the mass is, then you choose the right spring. Okay, And, the, and then you go to the right spring layout. I want to talk about the layouts because I know that you get very involved in that and yep. you yell at people when you don't get involved in that, and yep. then it doesn't work and they blame you. And we can talk about that so conversation. What, what
2: John's getting at is uh, the importance of, of really good shop drawings. For, yeah. for any, any project, you have to, whether it's a floated floor or a, an isolated ceiling system, a sound barrier ceiling, you, you're going to have uh, different weights. So in the corner of the room the ceiling weighs a lot less than it does in, in on a per mid, spring mid, basis midfield. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Sure. So, so you, you, when, when you talk about spring hung ceilings, mm-hmm. you have to have several different isolator ratings. And, and what I mean by rating is the the spring is going to deflect the durometer of the spring. Right. right. Yeah. Right. And, and so, you know, mm-hmm. in the heavier areas you, you have a heavier rating of spring and the lighter areas, you have a lighter.
1: So this rating. is a common mistake. I, I'm happy to report that we don't see it too much on our projects because we, we are massively, excuse the pun, focused on supervision uh, and demanding shop drawings. But I know you've seen it on projects when people oh, yeah. try to skip the shop drawings or use other vendors that don't provide accurate shop drawings because a typical architectural design, partic- not from studio designers but from non-studio designers, might just show a floor wall ceiling and there's a little spring that they grabbed as an icon and it says spring spring ceiling system c shop you know c shop drawings or tbd yeah you know and somebody spent 20 minutes on the detail and they all they're all happy their job is done now months later this project starts to get built, goes to a general contractor, he sees springs, okay, springs. He gives it to a subcontractor, he sees springs, and calls somebody up to go get the springs. I assume he he calls somebody like you Mm -hmm. or your company or maybe three companies, okay? And now God is in the details because there could be four different types of springs that are required on that job depending on loads, okay? And it's not just the corners. You could have a, a situation in the middle of a ceiling where there's a very heavy load, mm-hmm. like like four projectors. okay? You could have that on a floor where we're having a 1,000 pound console that is actually that weight's got to get distributed on 12 isolators, kinetics isolators, for instance. OK? You got to know that. Yep. okay. And the springs and the isolators, they more or less look the same, except they may have a different color. color. <laughs> okay, great. Good news is we went through all this work, they called Keith, he did the shop drawings or he got them done. Keith's shop drawings, I have to say, are always really, really well done. Thank you. They're really well done. We've, we've had them, we've worked with them before. Um, uh, other people provide really good shop drawings, a few people don't. Some people try to skip that, that phase. We, that's not advisable. Okay. So good news there. Now comes the even better news. The springs are correctly colored, okay, on the site. And now who puts the springs in? Well, by the time you go down the food chain, there's the site supervisor, there's the foreman, and they're looking at the diagram. But they don't put the springs in. You know, three guys put the springs in. They may not even speak English. They may not know how to read the drawings. And they choose the wrong colors. or they just don't even care, okay? And so at the end of the day, after all that work, the wrong spring got in. Or they put in a wall decoupler. What, what's the, kind of the, that little, little uh, decoupler? Sway brace. One of the sway braces. But before they put the sway brace in, they temporarily attach the walls. They had to in order for the walls to stand up while they were building. And they forget to take the sway brace out. Yeah. We make every contractor spray the temporary bracing orange. Okay, and before you put up that first layer of sheetrock, I do not want to see a photograph with any orange. I want all the orange to disappear. This is what really happens in the site, and that's why I mean from in in my opinion, it's to ha- it is important to have somebody like Keith or Keith's company and there are, I mean there's a yeah, number so, of you so we, cuz we, you're only in New England. Yeah, okay. Correct. on a project like this. Yeah. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. I just listed five of them, and there's, and that's not all. A lot of things can go wrong.
2: Not only, a uh, little plug, kpa.design is my website, but um, not only do we provide the shop drawings, we also provide site supervision. Site supervision. And we have preferred contractors who we've worked with over and over, and the relationship there is great because we know that their site super is going to supervise well, the installation Well, let me ask a question
1: because I may not know the answer to this. We've only dealt with you, you know, on... Uh, Ideal. Besides being a, being a friend and constantly calling for advice, we get consulting. We've had we have had some some of our projects, even if they're out of your area, come. You know, you've given us advice and consulting. But do you provide turnkey installation? Does your company actually do for the work? For certain,
2: for certain clients, we, okay. we will. Okay. For certain clients, but in general, we try to partner with
1: subcontractors with, because with a builder, with, yeah. with the builders, yeah. yeah. You don't want to really compete with the I builders. I don't want to compete with them. That's, that's right. <laughs> They're your customers. <laughs> but, but if
2: I have, you know, MIT or Harvard, yeah. they call and say, hey, we we want, you know, we'll we'll manage. Are
1: that, there some that builders happens. that, in fact, ask you? Are there some GCs that say, can you just take care of the whole thing? Does that ever happen?
2: It happens. It, just, it's yeah. usually the client, though. It's the, oh, it's usually it's, the, it's the client? It's usually okay. the client. Usually
1: the client. Of course, in the studio world, we see a lot of situations where after design, there's a builder. Sometimes it's a builder we know. Sometimes it's a builder we don't know. And even that builder will come to us and say, can you, find, can you tell us who we should hire to do the isolation? Because they've never sure. touched it before. Sure. They just are not exactly sure about that, and they do not want the responsibility. They're afraid of it. Yeah, yeah they're no, afraid. The,
2: this happens with us, yeah. too, and then, then we yeah. lean on those preferred installers. Yeah,
1: we have a yeah. universe of preferred installers. We try to stay... I try to stay agnostic on that. Uh, So you same thing with you? Yeah. Okay, good, great.
0: So we've spoken a lot about the various kinetics building acoustics products, the invisible hidden products behind the walls or in the ceilings or floors. Can you tell our audience some of the other products that are just as important for isolation, but that you can actually see in the rooms?
1: Yeah, well, most isolation products are invisible. And if you do your job well, you just get a hidden applause. Um, but there are a few isolation products that you do see, basically doors and windows. Yeah. So uh, you represent noise uh, barriers. Yeah. Okay, noise barriers is one of the U.S. one of at least what I would consider in for us approved uh, high STC performing doors.
2: I think that the 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 main point of a good acoustical door, of course, is the mass, and that's that's a yeah. no-brainer, but. It's the seals. And the cam lift hinge. Yeah. But it's seals and cam lift hinges. Yeah.
1: I mean, a high-performance STC door, by that I mean 49 and higher. Okay? You need two things to work. You need to have mass. Not that complicated. Okay? Although there are some tricks, Mm -hmm. different thicknesses of steel and honeycomb, et cetera, et cetera. If you're putting a window in the door, which you do, how's that seal? But the trick... The place where most doors fail is the seals. And there are two types of seals. There's the jam, and that's pretty easy. Door closes on a lot of rubber or magnets or whatever, and the bottom. And that's where the problem is. So there's only three ways to deal with the bottom. You either have a four-sided jam, like an airplane door or a submarine door, which, of course, is illegal. because you have a bump. It's illegal from an ADA point of view and it's gonna wear, it's gonna collapse pretty soon when you start rolling stuff over it. So throw that out, that's not gonna work. Or you have a drop seal, some kind of mechanism that's inside the door and as the door closes, a pin hits the jam and it drops a seal via some rods. Okay, kinda cool, definitely works, but over time fails. Yeah. It, it just fails. It's a good solution. It's a very good retrofit solution, okay, but it will over time fail. The, the sweep sometimes just gets a little crooked or even the, the sill might move a little bit and and it, it just fails over time. And the best solution and one that's been around for a while is to have the door rise when it opens and then fall when it closes using a cam cam hinge, which Noise barrier uses right. Oh yeah. Yeah, Thanks. and IAC yeah. uses it, and there's a number of people. But you'd be surprised how many acoustic door manufacturers don't use it. Yeah. And they use drop seals. We we almost always insist on, on a on a drop seal yeah. recommendation. Actually, we in the United States, we really to be on. We really only recommend two. You know, I two, I, two, I, two doors. I, I think Catalyst owns them both, right? Yeah, it's
2: the door. It's the door and hardware industry in, in general. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's common. But I will say that both noise barriers. There's only one other door that I will even say to my customers. Is right, which is IAC, right, which but is owned by the same company. It's it's an actual equal. And I think, moreover, not just the cam lift hinge and the magnetic seals, but the fact that both companies. Uh, build the doors and ship them in the frame yeah. so they test them at the factory before they ship. They test out. them it's a four sided a, lot, a yeah. lot of our competitors yeah. send a uh you know a kit of parts and you are subject to the contractor to put it together correctly you
1: know? yeah the other a lot of other manufacturers use a knockdown frame kind of cool for shipping but now you got to put it together and you never do it right yours correct. is a is a welded is a welded correct. frame yeah correct so we can we can say they're the only two we recommend yeah. Yep. So for single, you know, for swing doors, it's both of your companies. I, I, and I don't have, that, I, in a rare moment here, I do not have a problem saying that yeah. uh, uh, publicly. Those are our two recommended doors.
2: There's an IAC door in the building next door, which is the old campus for, Bur- I mean, it's still, still yeah. existing. It's probably 50 years old. I mean, it's, oh, we've got it's,
1: IAC doors and, and noise barrier lasting years and years with, yeah. with basically no maintenance. Yeah, yeah, No maintenance. So kudos on that product. The testing is good. Okay. That's another one of those moments where you will call. You will get the STC data on the door, proudly showing the data down to 125. But if you ask for those lower frequencies, they'll send it to you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. The consultants will ask. The architects won't.
0: Got it. Now, you've both been in the industry for quite some time and have probably worked on hundreds, if not thousands of projects over the years. What are some of the best practices you've learned through the course of your careers?
2: So my biggest um, best practice or blooper is, uh, they're, they're related, um, and it has to do with pressure from the contractor to get stuff on site. Yeah. It's shortcuts, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's releasing something that hasn't been approved. And I, I, I've done it a couple times, and uh, you know, so that's. I would say go through the approval process. Make sure the client, the consultant, the architect are all getting what they want, uh, or else you're you're in trouble. You're 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 setting yourself up for, and the contractor can can they usually cause those types of bloopers because of schedule.
1: Yeah, I've called Keith a few times when I thought the shop drawings submittals were were just simply not good. And they weren't coming from you. On the one or two times, on, on, on the few times when we've actually been on the same project, I know where Keith's shop drawings are coming from. I, I actually do know specifically. And I know that they're going to be correct. Some other times on, on on products, I'm not quite sure where they're coming from. I don't know whether they're coming from Ohio or they're coming from the, the rep or Even the contractors trying to draw them and get Mm -hmm. us to approve them? Well, usually when that happens, we know because they're really terrible. (laughs) I mean, they're just awful. Okay? You know, so basically we'll, we'll call Keith when we just need a really, really good second opinion. I've called Keith on some projects where I was hoping that he could actually provide the product in my region and then basically... He serviced it, but you had to share it with another rep, yeah. and, and that's and that and I appreciate that. I think somewhere in the, I don't know if it's the case now, Becca, because Kinetics and IAC and Noise that things have changed a little bit with your corporate structure. But years passed when you could call Dick Paris up and he'd actually come to your office, and you 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 could, you know, you are really using the reps for information, for real information. Yeah. Okay, I mean we're drawing a thing. so. And you'll say, can we get this stuff? Is this stuff really going to be available? Or are we going to run into a manufacturing product? Um, we had a project two years ago, very, very big doors. Huge, 10, 12 foot high, 10 foot wide, big giant elephant doors on a stage. And um, I mean, it's one thing to draw it on a drawing. That's easy. But I mean, early on, even in schematic, I was on the phone, hey, can, we make, can this happen? Can you really do this? Can we really hang this door okay, uh, in this wall system? So we're getting very, very early cooperation. So the good reps, of which I would certainly con- consider you, are, provide, are feeding us that information um, early, early on. And then, of course, keeping us informed on new products. You've come down to the office and done sure. presentation. That's been kind of fun. Yeah, so, shout,
2: shout out to Vibration Products. And- Benjamin Walton, we did that. Yeah. Jay Ford
1: and Roy yeah. Williams, good, good people. Yeah, there. these are really good people.
0: And do you have any lessons you've learned from mistakes you've made that you can share with our listeners?
1: I, I you know, 53, it's 53 years, and it's 3,000-plus um, rooms. So you're going to make some mistakes. But the one that comes to mind, we, it was a studio in California, it was for the owners of Margarita Mix, and they were expanding into a new building. And it, they needed a pretty straightforward control room, oh, live room for 10 people, ISO booth, nothing terribly unusual about what they needed. And it was on the ground floor of a pretty standard office building in Burbank. Okay? And uh, you, you come into the building, and there's 1,500 you know, 1, feet on one side. A bank could have occupied it, and there's 1,500 feet on the other side. Absolutely symmetrical building, and they chose the left side. We go to the site, we look at it, we take some measurements, physical measurements, we take some noise measurements. Everything's everything's pretty, pretty standard, and we design the studio. Two months later, we're through with CDs, and we get a call. We're taking the other space. Don't know why. I don't know. So, somebody rented that space. We're going to go from... 101L to 101R, exactly the same. All we had to do was just take the drawings and reverse the words. I mean, it's exactly the same space. Everything's the same. The structure's symmetrical. And I did not say, you know, let's just go out and measure that space acoustically. Let's just double check, because it did look the same. And it turns out that there's a freight corridor on one side, and all of the deliveries for the building come in this freight corridor, which is concrete, with a roll-up door. And all these pallets get rolled down, and there's a storeroom further on. I didn't quite pay attention. The entire project gets built. I used sort of a medium gray, basically a roll-out system. Actually, it was a kinetics roll-out system, which would have easily worked in the other space when there was nothing on the other side. It was, I think it was, it was just a storage room. There was, Okay, And of course, every time one of those rolling carts rolled by, (laughs) they would hear it in the studio. And I got a call one day, and it was just horrible. And um, these were good clients. And these were good people. And I ended up, they had to take out. we We had to cut back the floor. I think we actually took the whole floor out, put in a different floor. It was very expensive. Cut the wall up a foot. I think in that day, this is years and years ago, it was like about fifty dollars or $75,000 fix. And this is at least 30 plus years ago because I think it's before Beth. And um, so the lesson there was I should have gone out and insisted that we look at the site again, even though the drawings seem to be, and in retrospect, I would have recommended a jack-up floor. I would have recommended a concrete floor. Okay, I couldn't cut the slab. So site measurements. We, don't, we do not take a job now that we can't measure the site. We just don't do it. We've had people send us information. Oh, I, got, I had an acoustician look at it. Here's the report. Or they go out and take a measurement, and I say, I'm, we're not doing the job. I'm just not going to do the job unless we can take the measurements. I learned that lesson the hard way. I ended up, I, I, they, were really, they were very, very wealthy guys, and they felt kind of bad about the whole thing. And I said, i got to pay for this. Can we split it? And they said yes. And then I said, Can I pay you every month? I didn't have a lot of money then. <laughs> the, the fee for the whole project was only fifteen thousand dollars. It was, it was a painful lesson, but it was an interesting lesson that I that I learned. Site measurements you have to take, you have to take site measurements. Um, I can't imagine. Well, your world probably could be divided into two worlds that have. A, an acoustic consultant on it, and worlds that don't. Right. And I can only imagine when you when they're sort of using you as the acoustic consultant. So anyway,
2: my biggest handing it over to you. <laughs> my biggest. Uh, this is a funny one. So my biggest, and and it it was not as an expensive a, of a fix, but I released uh, some doors, some noise barriers doors, without uh, the proper color approval. <laughs> <laughs> and and actually, no, I I didn't insist. I, the, the contractor, I, I actually had approval from the contractor to release it. But I did not insist, and I always do now, of course. But I did not insist on the architect's stamping. Uh-huh. And, I, and at this point, I always do, because we were yeah. able to paint the doors in the field. It wasn't a big you gotta deal. you got to have approved But, but we, uh, you know, so, so moreover, that that's my biggest blooper. Uh, you know, it was four doors we had to hire a painter it was you know was cost. that's not a really very either. big blooper no but but it 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 um it's not the only one and it mm-hmm. always has to do with the contractor pushing schedule on you that yeah. that's for me as a rep that's that's always do you that's get a lot of
1: issue? projects where the architect is essentially skipping an acoustic consultant and using you for free consulting. Do you see I that? just I just back away from it. Oh, you back away. Yeah, okay. I,
2: I don't I don't take ownership for that. I just tell them you know look, if you're not these are the acoustical consultants that you you should hire. Right. Um, you know call, them all. Obviously, call, call them, uh, and if they well we don't have. I said okay, well you know here's the data on the product. You can figure out. You figure it out. You figure out what you want.
1: That's a dangerous place to be. I think. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think, but. We don't see too much of it because of the nature of the projects that we get. I mean, sure. well, well, actually, we don't see any of it because when they call us, they've already made a decision to call us. Right. Why, why would they call us? But you're getting calls from architects on projects that have a little bit of acoustics, a conference room, whatever. Maybe they've called a consultant. Maybe they're trying to skip it because they, they don't want to put that in their budget. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I see that.
2: Most of, the, most of the big projects, though, most of the projects we're involved have with. It.
1: Yeah, I just have it. Yeah, I'm happy to report.
0: Well, I believe our time is just about up. Is there anything else you wanted to include that we haven't touched on yet?
1: Yeah. To summarize, in the case of isolation products, it, this there's not much visual. You never see them, so we're not talking about color or finish. Right. <laughs> we don't have those issues. Okay. We are talking about performance. Now, that's not the case with some of your other products. Okay. Where, in fact, that that is what what you see, but in, but for. But for clips and, and sway braces and, and any kind of uh, floor decoupling products, ceiling decoupling products, um, uh, you know, duct silences, all the stuff that the Catalyst family and other companies make in the isolation universe, this is nitty gritty stuff. You don't see it. Yeah. You never see it. So there, there aren't a, I've never gotten a shop drawing that has a finish on an air conditioner. That's not true, actually, every now and then. You do see some silencers that have a, that have a finish because they're exposed, <laughs> but it's pretty rare. And then, of course, doors have a yeah. finish, okay? But yeah. for the most part, the stuff's invisible. It's got to work. So continue the good work on, on good products and good specifications.
0: Well, thank you both again for being here today. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I'm sure our listeners will too.
1: Thank you for letting us hang with you for an hour here. Yeah, this has been, it's been awesome.
0: Yeah, this has been cool.
1: Adios. Cheers. Bye.
0: If you'd like to learn more about John and Keith or their respective companies, please visit WSDG.com or kpa.design. I'll include those links in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Catalyst Conversations. We hope you enjoyed the discussion and learned something from one of the industry's brightest minds. Be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you're listening right now, and we would love if you left a rating or a review for us so more folks in the industry can find us. We'll be back next month with a new episode. We'll see you then.